Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's Sunday morning, September 13th. Perfect day. Perfect day for a walk. Temperatures probably in the low 70s. Blue sky. I'm walking down to the office. Yeah, I work on Sundays, guys. I don't work for the government, I work for myself. So I'm walking down to the office. I have a couple goals that I want to achieve today. I went to a seminar a week before last. It was called Start Utah, which was uh, basically showcasing entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, new technologies and new ideas. I went to one seminar where they were talking about social media marketing and how to get more engagement from your audience. And one of the seminars said that if you have quizzes, people like taking quizzes. So I did a little research and there's a company that allows us to uh, upload quizzes to my WordPress site. And so my goal today is to put together a simple 10 question quiz. And I'm not sure what I'm gonna do it on, probably rules of the road. I'll pick one of the rules of the road and put together a 10 question quiz upload it and I'll put a link to it in this podcast if I'm able to get it done today. Now, I want to make it sort of fun so I'm going to try to put some images with it that make it a little more fun to take the quiz and that's really what's going to take the time trying to find the images for my my library of thousands of images that make sense for the questions or I may just forego that and just put the quiz out so we'll see but I've I've got that goal in mind today. Also, I'm gonna to try to get out some other podcasts today on my other sites and see, keep those sites going as well. I had a comment, and let me pull out the email because he wrote it yesterday. Pull out my iPhone, take a look at my saved messages. From Sean, Sean wrote, I just listened to the latest podcast, great info about the gear, that is exactly what I meant. So it was Sean that asked me to do a podcast or answer some questions on what gear that I use for solo sailing, single-handed sailing. I know you have one episode where your guest was talking about the Amalfi Coast, but if you know anyone else that has sailed on the Italian coast, Spanish or French coast, that would be a cool interview. Also maybe what does a typical day look like for you on board in the Med? Another interesting podcast could be intense storms or other horror stories at sea. Or in, the, or in the harbor, you or your friends have encountered while sailing over there. I finished that sailing piece I was talking about. Here is a picture. And he sent me a JPEG of, he's an artist up in Canada, and he sent me a, an, an image of the picture. And Sean, if you're listening to this, I'll, and I'll actually write you a quick email back, would it be okay to use that image on the website? 
you have a copyright to it and I won't infringe on your copyright if if uh, if that's not okay but if you'd like me to put it up on the website it's a beautiful image a woman in a purple long flowing dress looking out at sunset at a boat sailing on the water looks like a sloop rig sailing on the water and the bright orange of the sky in the water yeah it's a beautiful picture anyway Sean thanks for the comment I'm gonna finish up on uh, the gear that I use for single solo sailing. Now I'm not a particular fan of these single-handed sailors that like to sail around the world on their own. I think a lot of people do that um, to get attention, but I, and I've done it and I'm not going to uh, say you shouldn't do it, but my basic problem with single-handed sailing is you cannot keep a watch 24 hours a day so what you're doing is you're playing Russian roulette, quite honestly. I don't care what gear you have, what electronic detection gear you have, you're still playing Russian roulette because if you go to sleep and you rely on a collision alarm to wake you up, okay, what's backing up the collision alarm? What if it goes bad? What if you get struck by lightning and all that collision alarm gear goes out or all your electronics go out? I... I... I I know a lot of people think it's the ultimate in sailing to be single-handed sailors and uh, I like the skill of single-handed sailing but quite honestly guys you know it's not that hard to sail single-handedly if you have the boat set up with the right gear and you have autopilots uh, but you cannot stay up and keep a watch 24 hours a day and at some point in time you're running the risk of collision with other boats and you may be entirely in the wrong you may you may be on a uh, you may be on a port tack and the other boat is holding his course he has right-of-way and you could run into him and it would be your fault so single-handed sailors like the uh, adulation that they get by being single-handed sailors I think they're just being quite honestly fairly irresponsible when I single hand sail, I don't like to do it because I cannot stay up all night long. And I run a risk and I've done it um, only a couple times overnight. But when I single hand sail in the med, it's day sails. And so I am keeping a watch for the most time, for the most part, 24 hours, or for the most part, all the time that I am on watch. Now I'll duck down below, but I'll do a scan on the horizon and make sure there's nothing there before I'll duck down below. So continuing on the gear, we talked about the roller furling, the anchor gear, the windlass. And now let's talk about the most difficult part of single-handed sailing. And it's not the sailing, it's coming into port by yourself. That is by far the most difficult maneuver that a single-handed sailor has to deal with. Anybody can go out there, set their sails, sail, reef sails, sail, you know, you don't have to really worry about it that much. But when you're coming into port, you've got to avoid the other boats that are coming in and out of the port. You've got to have all your lines ready. You've got to be able to drop your anchor. If you're side tying, you have to have all your lines ready. So on my boat, it sort of looks like when I'm sailing, I have a lot of lines hanging on the lines all the time on both my port and starboard side. And I will have at least three long mooring lines permanently attached on the starboard 
and port side, along with lots of, oh, let's say six foot, quarter inch, or maybe five millimeters for you, you folks over in, uh, in metric land, uh, lines that I use for reefing. They're all sitting up there on the lifelines, ready to go at a moment's notice. When I need to reef my boat, when I need to reef my mainsail, my little reefing lines are ready to go. And I usually have them, at least I try to put some on both sides of the boat, so it depends on which side of the boat I'm on, which reefing lines I grab. So if I'm single-handed sailing and I need to reef, and I've done this many, many, many times, um, you know, when I was racing, we would never, we would never take any sail off when we were reefing. We'd keep plowing through. But when I'm single-handed sailing and I need to reef, I have to turn my boat right into the wind to be able to pull down the mainsail to the reefing points. And I go straight to my second reefing points. I, I've quit using my first reefing points because when I have to reef, usually the wind is building. And if I use the first reefing points, by the time I get that done, it's time to put the second reefing points in. So I go straight to my second reefing lines. I don't even have the Jiffy reefing run for the first reefing point anymore. So I go to my second and third reefs. And, and so I have to point the boat into the wind. And when I do that, the clue on the jib is flopping around. And it's a heavy steel clue, heavy steel grommet and it could do some damage. So now when I reef, I just roll up the jib all the way. I just roll it in. I'm not gonna worry about it. I just roll it up all the way. And, and then I will turn into the wind. And when I'm doing this by myself, I'll, I'll really pretty much turn on the engine and, and idly, you know, an idle motor the engine into the wind. Use the auto helm, turn it straight into the wind or I might use my vane gear too and keep it pointed straight into the wind. Just doesn't really matter which, whichever auto pilot works best at the time. And then once it's turned into the wind, I'll release the main halyard, lower the main down to the reefing point, get the uh, tack on the new horn, the new reefing point tack on the horn, put a little bit of stress on it so the sail doesn't keep coming down. Uh, make sure my main sheet is loose and then tie my reefing points in on the sail going forward and back and of course I also have a line that's rigged on the clue the new clue which is going to be snugged down against the boom and I'll pull that tight usually using one of the winches on the mast uh, to pull that tight into the boom I don't try to put any stress on the main while I'm doing this. In fact, I want the main to be very slack because if it's, if it's tight at all, then you're just basically fighting the mainsail. So I leave enough slack in the main, leave enough slack on the main sheet that I can do the reef. And then once everything's tied in nice and neat, uh, then I'll go ahead and pull the mainsail back up. and. Remember, I may be motoring at this point in time, just ever so slightly into the wind, just to keep me pointed right into the wind. And then pull the mainsail back up, get back on course, and uh, then pull out the jib again and continue sailing. I do that, I've done that many times, many times. 
And then if I had to do to an another reef, it's basically the same procedure over again. Now, sometimes I try to do it without starting the engine. Ideally, that's a better way to do it, and I've done it that way. But, but quite honestly, what'll happen when you're single-handed sailing is the boat will start moving one way or the other and your auto helm won't point it back in fast enough and then you're fighting that main. You're, the main picks up a bunch of wind, you're going broad broad to the wind and, and then you've got to run back to the cockpit and try to get the boat back pointed into the wind. So <laughs> I've, I've found that just starting the engine and motoring it just fast enough to overcome the wind and waves so you're moving through the water at a relatively slow pace but still making your way forward while you're doing the reef makes it a lot easier now if i have a crew on board somebody will stay back at the helm and we won't start the engine but if i'm doing it by myself that's typically the way i'll i'll reef my sails when i'm by myself and then again the next point if it's if the winds keep coming up is i'll i'll take some uh, turns around the the jib roller furling furl that up a ways and my typical reefing schedule is oh the wind comes up I have full sails up winds build up I'll put a few rolls in the lapper or the jib my jib is a lapper it's I think it's 110 percent of the four triangle which is the definition of a lapper and then uh, the winds come up a little more I'll put a reef in the mainsail again going straight to the second reef not to the first reef the winds come up some more I'll put a few more rolls around the lapper winds come up some more I'll put the third reef in the main and probably roll the lapper up a little more and at this point in time the lapper shape the shape on the jib is not looking very good and uh, if the winds are continuing to increase I'll just roll up the lapper entirely and deploy the staysail. Now my staysail is not on roller furling, so I have to go and run the sheets and run the halyard. So it takes a little time to deploy the staysail, but it's, e it's easy enough to do, it just takes time. And so if I'm going to deploy the staysail, I'll probably just be under a triple reef main at the time and go forward and run all my sheets and bring the halyard up and then I take the, take the staysail up at the, uh, at the mast, the winch at the mast, and take it up. And it's not a very big sail, so it goes up pretty fast. And then I'll be sailing along. It'll be really comfortable. It's interesting, what I find is, as every time I reef, when the wind starts coming up, my speed increases. It doesn't decrease, it increases because I'm using the wind in a more efficient manner. Some people like to be heeled way over, and all they're doing is being uncomfortable and not efficiently using the wind. The key to sailing, and it's really simple, is just to keep the right sail area up for the wind conditions. So, that's how I deal with reefing by myself. But coming into port, this is, this is the, really the hardest part of solo sailing, is coming into port. And I've done it many times without anybody helping me, and it's not fun. It's difficult, it's, it's a pain in the butt. And if there's any sort of a cross breeze, it's always an adventure in backing up my boat. But uh, I, I'm able to do it. <laughs> sometimes it takes three or four or five times to do it. Or sometimes I'll say, forget it, and get a stern anchor ready and go bow in, 
rather than try to fight it. But I don't have a stern anchor ready to go anymore. I used to have a rig stern anchor, but I don't. So I try to go stern in instead of bow, instead of bow in because I, if I do go bow in, I've got to uh, I've got to do some um, get some lines ready. I have to get an anchor ready and get my stern line ready. And I have a stern line ready to go. I use that stern line all the time when I'm tying to shore. So I have a well, probably 300 foot stern line, half inch nylon stern line with about 30 feet of quarter inch chain. And, and if I really wanted to use a stern anchor, I'd want to change that chain to probably 5 16 chain. But uh, what I have ready to go is, uh, is really for tying off ashore. So what I would do if I had to stern, if I had to anchor from the stern, I'd bring my little fortress anchor back and throw it off the back. And it's, you know, fortress anchors are pretty good. So uh, on the rare times that I've done it, it's been okay. But as a general rule, I try to uh, back into the med mooring area or side tie. If I have my choice and I'm coming in by myself, I always prefer to side tie. But I, before you come in, you have to have all your lines ready to go. You have to, you know, if you're going to stern tie, you have to get your rear mooring lines ready. You have to have your anchor ready to drop. And, and for that reason, when you look at my boat, I always have reefing lines and docking lines already untied on the lifelines. I don't stick them down in a cockpit where they're nice and neat and out of the way. They're, they're up there ready to go because I don't want to have to be digging around in a cockpit to pull out my stern lines. And also my bumpers are up on deck ready to go too. So you'll have the bumpers deployed off both sides of the boat. You'll have your mooring line ready to go. You'll have your anchor ready to drop and I'll have my control box back in the cockpit and as I start backing down, I'll try to pick a spot out, try to determine how much side breeze I have and, <laughs> and try to get in there. And uh, I'll drop my anchor back in. And really when I'm backing in without the anchor dropped, I really don't have much control over the bow of the boat. Once the anchor gets to the bottom and grabs, then I have a lot more control because the bow is being held out now. And all I have to do is worry about uh, trying to get the stern backing up in a straight line. And there's been many times that I'll, I'll still leave the anchor down. I'll back in. I won't be coming in straight. I won't pull the anchor up. I'll just motor back up again and try to get a better, a better angle on my backing into uh, the spot I picked to med more. Now, once I start backing in, I go back pretty darn slowly. And the reason I do that is because uh, my boat does not react quickly like a lot of the boats do. It's 16,000 pounds over 28 feet, so there's a lot of momentum. So I come back pretty slowly, and if I look like I'm coming close to another boat, I'll throw a bumper over there. But remember, when you're in the cockpit trying to control the tiller and the rudder, it's pretty hard to have <laughs> to, to jump up and throw over a bumper. So I'll quite often have a bumper, two bumpers, one off each side right at the stern because that's going to be the first thing that bumps into another boat is my stern. And then I'll have a couple uh, bumpers in the middle off, off each side of the boat. But usually if you're coming in, the boats that are already 
uh, med moored have their bumpers hanging over. They're, they're, they know somebody's going to be coming in there, so their bumpers is all, are also deployed. And, and if you're lucky, somebody's there watching you come in and will get off and take your stern lines. And, uh, and then, then at that point in time, it's pretty easy. I'll come back in. I'll leave a lot of slack on the, on the anchor, on the anchor road. I'll come back in. And then right as I get to the key, I'll stop the boat and sometimes uh, I'll have to push off the, the concrete key, but or somebody will stand there and push it off with their foot, or I'll, I'll gun the engine forward to keep me from hitting the key. But I don't tighten up the bow line at that point in time. I get my stern lines off, we run it around the bollard or through the rings and back to the boat. And then I will, uh, once I have those stern lines deployed, uh, then I'll pull in on the anchor and pull the bow out and make sure it's it's grabbing well and uh, give myself enough room from the the key that ideally I can step off the boat onto the key but it depends on really how much surge is in the harbor if there's a lot of surge I'll I'll really put my plank up to get to shore and if there's even too much surge for that then I'll uh, put the dinghy and go back and forth with the dinghy off the stern of the boat so I have had to med more by myself where I actually have to get off the boat and run the uh, lines around the bollards or through the rings. And that's difficult. You just basically have to stop the boat and try to keep it from bumping up against the key and do the best you can. It's hard, but you can do it. Now side tying, it's a little easier to side tie by yourself, uh, especially if there's a uh, either a bow wind or a, a, just a little bit of a, a side breeze. Because all you have to do at that point in time is get your bumpers off to the side, make sure you have a bow line, a spring line, and a stern line ready to go. At least one spring line, and I'll put on two spring lines after I'm all tied up, but I'll have a bow line, a spring line, and a stern line, and they'll all go to my gate. And so I'll motor the boat up as close as I can to the, to the key, bump up against it with my bumpers, stop the boat as best I can, and jump off the boat with all three lines. And if the wind's coming from the bow, the first thing I'll do is I'll run that spring line forward, wrap it around something, do a quick, two quick round turns around, let's say a bullard, and do a, a slip knot, quick slip knot, half knot, half hitch. And then at that point in time, I'll be controlling the bow and the stern with the bow line and the stern line. And then, yeah, then it's just a matter of time to get everything rigged and, and tied down. I've done this in really high breezes in the past, and, and I think I've talked about this. I was coming into the uh, Samos one time. I'd come down from Chios, and the winds had built up, built up, built up throughout the day, and I came into this harbor, and there were a bunch of Greek fishermen sitting there watching me come in in this fairly high breeze, just watching. Nobody got up to help me, and I ended up doing it by myself. Had that been in Turkey, every one of those guys would have been up trying to help me. But that's just the difference in cultures for you. Anyway, uh, I think that's really pretty much enough on, on gear. I keep my gear, my lines, up on my lifelines so they're ready to go, so that I don't have to dig in a, in a 
you know, in a cockpit closet or a lazarette to pull out my lines. Now, it doesn't look as neat and ship shape as other boats, but quite honestly, it's more ship shape because those lines are ready to go, especially when I'm sailing by myself. And I have lots of lines. I'll have at least uh, five or six long lines uh, up on the lifelines ready to go. In addition to a, probably about 20 uh, six foot quarter inch lines that I use for reefing, use for tying down things, use it for, I use those little lines for everything. I have lots and lots of those little lines. And, and <laughs> it's, it's funny. I'll use one here and I'll use one there and pretty soon I'm saying, geez, I need some more short, small lines, quarter inch lines, because you use those for everything. But anyway, this is going to be episode number 70, seven zero. Um, I know Jack Andrews is the one that I talked to about sailing on the Amalfi Coast. Jack sent me an email last week, said he and his family are going to go sailing. They've, they've made a commitment. They're going to take off and go sailing in the next year for, uh, I think, a year. And I said, Jack, I want to get you on the podcast and talk to you about your decision, what your plans are. And he said he'd do it. If anybody else out there has some stories, some experience they'd like to share with the other listeners on sailing the Italian coast or the, I guess, Sardinia. You could also talk about Sardinia and the Balearic Islands, uh, drop me a note. We'll arrange a podcast. We'll arrange an interview. Tell us your experience. Share your knowledge with the listeners. All right, my quick advertisement. If you're studying for the ASA 101, 103, or 104, I cannot teach you how to sail in an audio course, but I can teach you the theory of sailing. I can teach you the terminology of sailing. I can teach you about the rules of the road, and that's what I do. I do a pretty good job, I think, and most people have said that my audio courses are pretty good. If you're interested in studying for the ASA 101 or just want to learn to sail, you want to get on a boat, first thing you need to do is understand the terminology of sailing, and I cover that very extensively in the um, Sailing Learn to Sail Lessons for the ASA 101 exam. So if you're just starting to dream about sailing and you want to learn, you want to be able to read books about sailing and understand what they're talking about, consider getting that course. It's an audio course. I'm an audio person, not a writing person. Plenty of books to go out and get on that also. I don't need to duplicate the books. You know, it's been a couple days since I first did the introduction and uh, the basic content of this podcast. And I've had a couple things that have occurred since then and a couple thoughts that I wanted to share. I went to a, a library forum at my club, the club I belong to in Salt Lake, the Alta Club, last night, and they were talking about uh, mass transportation. And there was the usual political hacks there and the usual people that think government's going to solve all the problems. And uh, there was one guy there who said, well, we need a we need a czar. We need a transportation czar for the Wasatch Front. And, and I, just, uh, I just get so fed up with bureaucrats trying to solve problems. Bureaucrats are the ones that are fighting the, the likes of Uber. They don't like to have <laughs> innovation. They want to control everything. And that's what a transportation czar would do here. They would control the buses, the trains, everything. And, 
And I got to thinking, and, and I made this comment. I said, you know, if you guys really want to learn mass transit, I'm, first of all, I'm a pretty cheap person. And when I ever get, when I get to a foreign country, I take public transportation because I don't like to pay for taxis. And I don't like to pay for uh, expensive transportation. So I'm a prime user of public transportation when I travel. And I've traveled all over the world. I said, if you really want to figure out public transportation, take a trip to Turkey and see what they've done. Because I can get anywhere in Turkey easily. First of all, through little dolmishes, which are like vans, minivans that take people around. That would be basically similar to a bus transportation system in the United States, but it works so much better because these are, as a, I think as a general rule, sole proprietors. These guys own their dolmishes and they collect the money and they go on their routes and the city basically just provides a central auto guard, a bus station where they come and they leave from the bus station and come back to the bus station after doing their routes. But instead of like we have in Salt Lake City where a bus comes by every half hour and 90% of the time it's it's empty, and the other 10% of the time, it's standing room only. If you had a bunch of little, you know, dolmishes or minivans traveling around on different routes, uh, and let the, let, the, let the private sector determine where the routes need to go. Let these guys figure it out for themselves. Maybe provide a central location where everybody goes and comes back like a bus station, but other than that, oh, geez, get the government out of the way. Government wants to license everybody. They want to control everything. If you want to see a good transportation system, a public transportation, go to Turkey and then hop over to Greece and see what a lack of transportation system they have in Greece. They're sort of like America where you have buses that might go out once or twice a day and that's about it. All right. Enough of that rant. I just thought I'd share that with you. I mean, I've traveled all over Turkey by public transportation, and it works, and it's cheap, and it's efficient. I think I've talked in past podcasts about some of the experiences that I had, I've had while traveling by bus throughout Turkey. Anyway, as I was thinking about anchoring uh, by myself, and I'm sailing by myself, I remembered a story that I wanted to share with you. I was sailing by myself. I was actually heading down to Finicky to put the boat up for the winter. And uh, my crew had left me, and I was working my way down the coast of Turkey. I'm not sure where they left me at. It might have been Kosh. It might have been Kakova. It might have been Fethiye, but I don't remember. But anyway, I'm working my way down the coast. It's on the sort of the week when I'm doing some solo traveling and putting the boat up, which is no fun at all to put the boat up by myself. But that year I was doing it by myself, and as I'm working my way south, <laughs> I decide to stop at this one island just to the, well, just barely off the coast of what is called Kakova Roads in Turkey. And there's this island with a very well-protected but small and narrow anchorage area. So if you anchor in here, in this area, you need to run a line ashore to keep your boat from swinging. You don't have the room to swing. If you swing, you'll probably run aground or bump against the bottom. So I pull into this uh, anchorage, and it's the, the, the wind is very, very light, almost just, just a light breeze. But the breeze is coming from the direction where I need to run a line ashore. 
And I look at this and I say, oh, that's not enough of a breeze to do much to me. So I, I dropped my anchor and I backed up, tested the anchor. The anchor was holding just fine and then backed up. And I thought, okay, now I've got to run a, a stern line ashore. Now in my boat, and this is one of the other pieces of gear that I haven't talked about, I have a locker that's accessible through a deck plate. Basically, it's a big aluminum box that I have about 300 feet of nylon line and about mm, probably 20 to 30 feet of quarter inch galvanized chain on the end of it. And I use the galvanized chain at the bitter end at the end I'm tying off on shore because if it gets shaved, it's not going to get shaved like rope will get shaved. And I have a shackle on there so it's easy to flip it around a rock or a tree and, and just shackle it to the chain itself. So it's a real quick, easy way of tying my line ashore. So I open up my deck plate and I feed the chain out through the hose pipe and get the chain far enough out that now I'm just pulling out nylon line and it just feeds out easily. It's like a stuff sack basically for nylon line. So it doesn't get tangled up in there. It just feeds in nicely and it doesn't get tangled up and it comes out nicely. So I drop this uh, chain overboard and I get it so it's feeding the nylon line out through the hose pipe. And once it's feeding the nylon line out, it'll run out cleanly. It'll come out of the uh, the uh, storage box cleanly, go through the hose pipe, and and like I say, I've got about 300 feet of it in there. So I bring the boat back. I pull the boat back, and and of course I'm stretched out on the chain. I'm stretched out on the anchor, and and. Uh, and then I stop the engine, jump in the water, and start swimming this to shore. And as I'm swimming it to shore, the, the boat slides down on its anchor. And then the, the wind, the light breeze, just started drifting the boat away from me. And I'm swimming to shore as fast as I can because what I've got to do is I've got to get swim to shore, tie off this line, and then come back and uh, cleat off the line on the boat before I run out of line. I've got quite a bit of line, but it's not an infinite amount of line, and it's not tied at the at the uh, at the very bitter end. The, uh, the other end of the line is not tied to anything, so it'll just pull right out of the box. Now, there's advantages and disadvantages of of doing that. I won't go into the reasons I don't tie off the bitter end, but I, I did not have the other end of the line tied off, so. The boat starts drifting away and drifting away, and I'm swimming to shore as fast as I can and uh, running up on shore and tying it. And by the time I get it tied on shore, it's ran out the entire length of line, and the boat's just drifting away from me. Yeah, it, it can't really go too far, and then the wind wasn't blowing strong enough to really do any damage. So I have to jump back into the water, swim back to the boat. And again, put it in reverse and get it back there. It took me two or three times to actually get this tied up. Fortunately, it was very light winds. But I've been thinking about a solution to this problem. And, and I think, and I haven't tried this, so I'm just sort of thinking off the top of my head. I've got my little fortress anchor, and I've got plenty of line on the boat. I've got another two or 300 feet of um, half-inch nylon line that, I store in the in the lazarette. I could take that out. So I think in the future, if I get in a situation like this, I will just quickly jury rig a stern anchor and, and throw it off the other side of the boat that uh, is not feeding out my stern line through, 
and back up, throw my fortress anchor out, just my light little fortress anchor tied onto a nylon line, and then put a temporary stern anchor out and see if that'll hold, hold the boat from drifting away when I swim to shore. Now, uh, what I have done in the past as well is, as I've left my boat in a idle reverse while I swim the line to shore, and I worry about this because I worry about getting the, the nylon line wrapped around the propeller. It's never happened but it could, and that's something I worry about. And I'm also very, very cognizant of that turning propeller when I'm in the water and making sure I get nowhere near that turning propeller. But that's the way I've been doing it in the past. And in fact, when Jack and Neil were with me on the boat, we stern-tied uh, just off the uh, breakwater of Ostapalea, and I swam the line ashore, tied it around a rock. And they were on the boat, and as soon as I had the line tied, uh, they went ahead and took up the slack and uh, cleated me off, and then we took the engine out of idle reverse. But that's the way I do it right now, but I don't really like that. Uh, I may try rigging a jury rig uh, light anchor, the fortress anchor, that I use uh, in my double anchor technique as well. Anyway, I just wanted to share that story with you because... Uh, tying a stern line, and I've, I've done it many times by myself, but <laughs> if the wind's blowing the wrong way, your boat can drift away from you fairly easily. And that was a, an experience I just sort of laughed, and, and the, it wasn't very deep, so the bitter end of the line when it went down, it was only about 8 or 10 feet deep, so I could just jump down or swim down and grab the line and bring it back up. But I had to get the boat in the right position. I think I ended up actually pulling the whole line back on board again and taking it out and deploying it. It was quite a while ago, but but it was a <clears throat> something I remember and laugh about. You know, one other thing I wanted to bring up and enlist your support and possibly your ideas on. I've started to create quizzes that you can take on the website. And they're just really... Uh, basic quizzes right now. I'd like to get a full set of rules of the road quizzes set up, but it takes a lot of time. And if there's, if there's anybody out there that would like to help me in creating quizzes that we put on the website, get a hold of me. I know it takes time, but if you'd like to help support the website, if you'd like to help get more content there that could be shared with other people, of course, I'll give you credit for what you do. Uh, I'd like that. Also, if you have some articles you'd like to contribute and post on the website, I'd like to start adding a little more content, more than just the podcast, and get people to use the, uh, the site a little more. So if you have any ideas, if you'd like to help, get a hold of me, franz at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. All right, thanks. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you, every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud.
I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs> The introduction and exit quotes for this podcast were from the movie Risky Business, released in 1983 and written by Paul Brickman. The dialogue, which was used in order, were played by Curtis Armstrong, who in the movie played the character Miles Dalby, Nicholas Pryor, who in the movie played Joel's father, Mr. Goodson, and Tom Cruise, who was the main character who played the character of Joel Goodson.